Hey, everybody, and thank you for joining us on this episode of Chatting with Country. This is our Be Well Beloved Wednesday. And on this day, I figured we've been having Sedan on the show um, now for a couple of months. And it's time for us to just dig in a little deeper to who he is. I'm sure we've all heard him tell his stories, but I think it's time for us to go a little bit deeper. Everybody that usually come on the show on the regular basis, I kind of got to ask those questions that we all are thinking. And so bringing to you today is Sedan Long with a a capital D after the A. Um, (laughs) How are you today? I am wonderful. I am well. Amen. So we are going to be discussing becoming Sedan. I'm doing well. I, you know, went out and um, did my walk this morning and I was stuck in Proverbs 3. Like I woke up with Proverbs 3 on my brain. I, you know, when when I go to bed, I do a lot of praying, different things like that. And Mm -hmm. My spirit man kind of guide me in the morning, like to a scripture, like, here you go, you know, read this chapter or read that verse either way. But Proverbs three is one that was on my heart this morning. And I think I'm going to stay in there a little while and just pick it apart. So, um, so Don, tell us a little bit about your upbringing, you know, maybe neighborhood schools and things like that. Let's see. I am from Gary, Indiana. Um, so for anybody who's maybe not familiar with Gary, you know, home of the Jacksons, um, home of Lloyd McClendon, um, Steel City, Chocolate City, Mayor Hatcher. Um, I grew up, you know, with a mom and a dad, you know, my parents divorced when I was about seven. But um, yeah, basically grew up um, child of the 80s for the most part, I was born in 71. But you know, my influence is basically hip hop, grew up rhyming and singing and breakdancing, all those kind of things and playing sports like most kids. Mm-hmm. So that's where it all started for me. Good old Gary, Indiana, went to Word High School. Shout out to the Troopers. What year you come out of Word? 89. Last of the good years, as I'd like to say. I wonder, is that, did you go to school with um, Tommy Dunn and Daryl Stanton? Mm, those names don't ring a bell. Wonder what year they came out. Okay, so when you hear the word becoming, what does that mean for you? Um, it, it, it's it's being on a path to something. It means evolving. It means growing. Um, you know, almost like when you look at a plant. You know, a plant becomes a flower, so to speak. You know, you see it, a seed hit the ground, but it has to grow into what it is meant to be. So when you say becoming, I'm thinking of someone growing into the thing that it's supposed to be. I saw a question today that said, where do seeds come from? And I started doing some digging and they traced it back to like so many uh, thousands, like 300,000 years ago and the seed. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, so the seed just popped up, huh? (laughs) You know, another one of those, there has to be God moments. Yeah, because like it's so many seeds, you know, you think of a, a child, a child is a seed before it becomes, you know, 
uh, human, uh, uh, grown, grown up, right? So that's fascinating. So did you go to college? St. Louis University for three and a half years. And I left St. Louis? St. Louis University, home of the Billikens. Okay. And you say you left when? Um, I left in the spring of my fourth year. Okay. Did you like St. Louis? I absolutely love St. Louis. St. Louis is one of my favorite cities on the planet till this day. I've um, never been to St. Louis. You should go. I've never been anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely um, recommend St. Louis. It is a mid-major. Um, so it's a, a big name with a small feel. So it's not one of those cities that you get lost in. It's one of those cities where it feels like home. Um, you know, from the Fox Theater to, you know, getting out in some of the suburbs, getting things like Tedru, and now with the way that they're gentrifying downtown, um, you're really, you know, going to enjoy yourself. I mean, it's not just casinos. It's not just, um, you know, what's the what's my lady who makes the real good food who had the show on? Um, the sweetie only, pies. Sweetie, sweetie, sweetie pies. Yeah, you got sweetie pies. Uh, you know, you get up on the north side, it's real good. Um, nightlife and lounges. You get downtown. There's boat. You know, it's real good shopping in St. Louis. Is you know, it shout safe? Out to, huh? Is it a safe place to be? Um, absolutely. Shout out to Mayor Tashar Harris and um her dad, Burbs Jones. You know, definitely a great city. Um, highly recommend people pulling up. And there's a bunch of great business owners there as well. So, and a lot of black business. So, if you're someone who supports minority businesses, that's definitely a place you want to um go. Because there's a lot of good service there. What was your major at St. Louis? Marketing, believe it or not. <laughs> um, as a kid, I used to watch the Bulls games and always wanted to know who are the guys handing out the really big checks at halftime. And they would always be directors of marketing. So that's what I was like, man, I want to hand out that big check one day. So that's how I kind of got into it. What do you feel like well not what do you feel what do you have dominion over um my thoughts um how i react to situations my effort so i can feel how i feel about something i can see things how i choose to see them i could be optimistic pessimistic um i can be upset um i can be joyous um i can you know see there's an opportunity or an obstacle and, you know, what I do about it and my effort. So those are the things I feel like you have dominion over. You can choose to work hard. Um, you can choose to to be positive in situations that other people might look at as, um, you know, unfair or, or otherwise. I mean, I try to hold on to the scripture that all things work together um, for the good of the Lord and um, and then one thing that happened, maybe, I guess a little bit older, when I got a little bit older, um, one of my best friends passed away and the pastor was like, we're praying people out of heaven. So I look at things a little bit differently than I used to. And I've kind of always, you know, been um, very glass half full kind of person. Like I've, I've never really been somebody who looked at the negative, I always felt like if you got up in the morning, then there was new possibilities and brand new benefits. Um, that's interesting because my next question out of that is what's your take on religion? Well, my take on religion is that God is real and that people are human. 
And unfortunately, when people are in a position where they can make money off religion, it gets a little tricky. You know, I mean, your relationship with God is pure and how you feel about God and how God feels about you is a pure thing. But then when you start putting people in positions of authority who see this as a job and as a career or as a hustle, now they can shape your belief. Mm-hmm. You know, they can influence you. You know, one of the things I always talk about um, with people is how do we get people to the next level if our belief system is that if they get to the next level, they're going to leave us. So let's just say you're a pastor who makes a good salary off your members. And maybe off your members is a bad way to put it, but that's what I said. Off your members, great way to put it. (laughs) Yeah, but that's what I said. I ain't walking away from it. So you make a good salary off your members. So are you really trying to see them self-actualize? Are you really trying to see them go to the next level? Are you really trying to see them manifest themselves to the fullest? Because that may mean that you don't have as much control over them anymore. That may mean they don't need you as much. You know, so are you really trying to keep them broken? I mean, whether intentionally or unintentionally, you know, because if you get to a certain point where it's like, okay, I, I'm confident, I'm strong, I'm not broken. I don't need another sad sermon, another sad story. Then what does that mean for that pastor? Mm-hmm. You know, because now that forces that pastor to now pastor somebody who's not broken. You know, can you lead successful people? Can you lead people who are hardworking? Or can you only lead people who are struggling financially, who are struggling emotionally, who are incapable of of making good decisions? You know, and if that's the case, then how do we do what God wants us to do if all our people are stuck in this broken loop? You know, I feel like, you know, God wants us to be powerful. You know, he says that we should occupy, you know, which is, you know, buy and trade. He said we should be the head and not the tail, lender and not the borrower. You know, so there has to be an economic component in our religion that shows us how to use our gift. It says the work is worthy, work is worthy of the hire. So if he's given us all these talents and he's given us all of this ability, you know, why aren't we trying to do everything we can to get every ounce of it as sharp as it can possibly be so that we can then, you know, be the head, not the tail. I feel like um, a lot of people don't go to church because of the get rich quick, you know, scheme that takes place in a lot of churches. Um, And I feel bad for a lot of people because <clears throat> those churches who are for real sincere, um, they miss out on good people. But, mm-hmm. you know, I guess when God is in the midst, he'll still send those who should be there to help put the puzzle pieces together in that house. You know what I'm saying? Well, but um, when you like I'll take my pastor, mm-hmm. um, he came over with nothing. Uh, he he tell his story all the time where he was basically a millionaire, right? 
but mm-hmm. all of the money was wrapped up in the stock market. He was retiring from United Airlines and the mm-hmm. stock market collapsed, right? Right. And when I met him, I said, God wanted you broken. He stripped you from everything. I don't know what type of life you was living, but you had to go all the way to the bottom mm-hmm. so that you can kind of come back up to the top and learn those things you need along the way, right? And I still don't feel like he's there. Um, but since he's, since I've been going to the church, I've watched a huge change in him, but I always tell, you know, pastors, er every pastor I know outside of like your TV Jakes or whatever, they had a real job. Well, um, if you really go back and you, well, but wait, 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 well, but wait, well, but he, now he don't have to. Right. So. Mm my thing was was people had real jobs to supplement that income because you coming into some of these houses churches right where your members don't have much and they come into you because they are broken and you do have successful people in there and and they give what they can it's not a thing of you know i, I i'm gonna give my all and i'm gonna you know and by the time i get home i'm gonna have five times that you know what i'm saying a, a name it and claim it type situation and so for him, you know, it's like if he can get $250 that week, that's cool. He catch the bus, you know, he ain't got no fancy car. And so a lot of people look at the bigger churches and think, well, whatever. I was having a conversation with somebody else just to get on Jake's and telling them, you know, how the church is uh, ran. You know, Jake's had to go to his his deacons and his, his staff, his board to say, hey, OK, the church bringing in $10,000. I, I need uh, enough of that so that I can live, you know what I'm saying, monthly. And so as your members increase, your salary increases, and so you're able to buy these things. But if a person don't know what go on behind the church and they just looking from the outside, then, you know, they stop going because they'd be like, well, he's just out here buying planes and nice suits and the sister Mary Clampett. Uh-huh. Ain't, uh, ain't got a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of, and she can washed we, it up in the bathroom. Can we stop right there for a second? Go ahead. Okay. See, here's here's something that I don't know if people always consider. You know, if you if you follow me on a business level, if you ever talk to me economically, um, I talk about the Big Five. You know, and the Big Five were steel, automotive, construction factory work and sales. So the majority of us grew up watching mega pastors be grown during that era. So during that era, as somebody who's from Gary, who knows about, you know, living in a steel town and how steel towns don't reflect the reality of the whole country. You know, so what you're looking at is you're looking at men who leave a steel mill every week with $3,000 in their pocket from doubles and hard work who make as much money as attorneys. However, they're from working class environments who have traditionally been very religious. So now you have men who are influenced by religion who have access to a significant amount of money. So yes, with that being said, the church is going to be a place where they trust the man of God, where they give, where they sow, um, where they worship. But now 
the big five no longer exist to the same degree that they used to. And the men who are now wealthy don't come from that background. You know, you're looking at people now who are getting their money from tech. You're looking at people now who um, are getting their money through different means, internet sales, internet programs, profiting um, from stock market and things of that nature. And that's a different level of intellect. You know, that's a different perspective on life. So now these people are not the people who built these mega churches, nor are they the seniors now who are still supporting these mega churches and these local churches. It's a different group of people. It's a different group of kids. So now how those kids are looking at it, they're looking at it and saying, well, Big Ma, she went there for 30 years and she's not Instagram rich, you know? Daddy and mama been there forever and they not Instagram rich. So how do you then want me to serve something that doesn't seem to be working? Mm-hmm. You know, but it never really worked to the degree that we thought it did because it was not because of the leadership. It was because of the big five. So if you took away the big five, now these churches have to teach people how to survive. And they have not done a good enough job because they never had to, you know, and that's not to be disparaging, but it's easy to tell a man, you know, to believe in God, if he can go fill out an application and get a job in the mill. It's easy to, you know, tell a man to believe in God, if he can go, you know, and get a job at a factory, you know, but you start taking away the factories. Now it gets a little bit harder to have faith. You know, when you're a teacher and you're married to a man that works, you know, in a in a sales position, you can make a very good life. You know, so now with all those things kind of being pulled away, um, the school systems are not what they used to be. The pay is not what it used to be. Inflation is high. So now we have real life issues that are not being addressed with faith conversations. You know, so when you start talking about naming and claim it, yeah, naming and claim it was easy at the internet boom, you know, because you can name it and claim it and then you could just go start an internet business. But then when the internet bubble burst, naming and claim it kind of went away too. You know, when the real estate bubble burst, naming and claim it kind of went away. So you can look at the economic um, downturns and then look at the sermons and see how. Yeah, the sermons were very optimistic when you could just go get your real estate license or you could go start an internet company. But now that those things don't exist and we're in inflation and we're in COVID and we're in a recession and people fix inflation with unemployment because now it takes money out of people's hands so companies can't continue to raise the price. That's where faith has to come in. You know, you go back um, and you look at Joseph. You know, Joseph was able to interpret the dreams. And then the king was like, "Okay, I need him on my side because he's interpreting these dreams. But he was able to go get his family during a famine. Mm -hmm. You know, so his hard work enabled him to save his family. But his family did need saving because it was a famine. Mm -hmm. So the question now becomes for for us as believers is how do we operate in a famine? And do we operate with the church or independent of the church? Like, how does that work? 
My you know, because in some cases, they didn't grow up going to church or believing in church and their money doesn't come and their stuff doesn't come from them. So they don't have that same love for it, so to speak. That's good that you said what you just said. So for a person that don't have the same love for it, do you feel like it's inscribed in their hearts to have love for something? They just don't know what it is, maybe? Well, I think that doing God's work is bigger than the church. It used to be the only way you could do God's work was through the church. But now you can have a non-for-profit and do God's work. Now you could be a business owner and you could do God's work. You know, you could just go out on the corner and, and feed people from your restaurant um, like Family Life Center does and do God's work. So it's not just the structure that we grew up with. You know, now you can literally touch people with your phone. You can touch people with your podcast. So it has gotten to a place where you could do God's work without being quote unquote inside that particular building. What do you think um, happens or I got to figure out how to put it. What do you think happens to people who has never encountered religion? So say you live out on the island somewhere and you don't know nothing about, you know, a God or anything like that, right? What do you think happens to people like that? Well, here's an interesting story. So when I was working on God Wants You to Dominate, um, one of what, my what does partners, God wants you to dominate in life? God wants you to dominate. Um, God's got to live a successful life using the Bible, um, available on Amazon, which is a book I wrote probably, I guess, maybe seven years ago now. Um, it was an international bestseller, bestseller in multiple countries. Um, still available. Feel free to go out and buy it. Um, if you buy it, I, I'll, I'll receive you know some compensation for it. So I never turn it down no money, and it is a great <laughs> book. <laughs> so, yeah, go out and get that, please. Yeah. But with that being said, um, <laughs> one of my business partners, a guy named Joe, Joe was working with Epic Launch with some of the guys who helped me turn my vision into a reality. And I had some questions. And Joe was like, well, I got a guy, but he's an atheist. So <laughs> I still remember, you know, guy answering my questions. We had a really long, wonderful, pro productive um, conversation. And at the end of the conversation, he was like, man, I, I expected you to be very different. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He was like, well, I expected you to be, um, you know, all churchy. And, Bible you know, thumping. Right. Mm -hmm. And my response to him was this. Like, up until now, you have experienced nothing that says that there is a God. That does not mean that tomorrow you will not experience something that says that there is a God. So I cannot, nor will I tell you what to believe or feel. I can only say that when the time comes, you get to make the decision for yourself. You know, so for us as believers, we just have to love and, and trust that, you know, we'll all have our Damascus Road moment. And when that moment comes, then that person gets to decide if they want to continue to be Saul or if they want to go be Paul. You know, but you can't make somebody do or think anything. Mm. You know, all you can do is be a good example of what it looks like. You know, 
you know, one of the reasons, you know, kids follow the drug dealer and the athlete um, or the, the internet influencer is because they look prosperous. So if you're looking for direction, obviously you're going to look in the direction of someone who looks like they got it all together. You know, so as believers, we just have to be calm and, and graceful and poised during the most difficult times, you know, because now people are then going to look at us and see the strength that we display. You know, I look at Shadrach, Meshach, and as some people say the bad Negro or Bendigo. A Billy you know, Goat. <laughs> or Billy Goat or however you want to put it. Um, during the most difficult time, they said, even if God don't save us, we know we can. Mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 the, and the result of that is your God is God. Mm-hmm. You know, but if we're jumping out the building and we're cheating people and we're stealing from people and we're robbing people and we're, you know, not honoring our word, then the world is going to look at that and say, they have no more faith than I do. You know, if we're not working hard, they have no more honor than I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're recommencing evil for evil, they have no more honor than I do. So why do I believe them and why do I believe their God? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the believer should be working harder than the average person mm-hmm. because their faith says that if they work hard and they sow good seeds, that they'll have a harvest. Mm-hmm. So why would the person who knows that if they put in the work, they're going to have a harvest, not work? No, it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to to, to 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 reconcile that in your head. Like, okay, I know that if I follow this word, it works. Why would I not be following it and then tell people I believe it? So let me ask another question: If, uh, say, like people grow up right and mm-hmm. their faith base tells them to go out and strap these bombs on and mm-hmm. kill people, right? Mm-hmm. what's your take on that? Do that make them, you know, less than? Because for me, if they wholeheartedly believe that this is something that's going to take them wherever, I can't sit back and spectate on them because they that's their belief. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think that that, that comes back to Americans believing the American marketing system and the American advertising and promotion system. You know, one of the, the coolest things that has ever happened to me is I've gotten to meet people from other countries. And and meeting people from other countries, we don't understand how it is to live in those countries and what it's like to be oppressed and what it's like to be without. I mean, here we call being broken, you know, not getting the relationship you want or not being able to have... Um, some of the material things in life, you know, oh my God, this is a horrible life. But if you live in some of these other countries. You happy you know, to walk- eat that can of beans. Right. Yeah. You're walking to get water, you know, um, you're living in shanty houses. You know, I remember talking to one of my friends in the Philippines and her whole house is probably the size of my bedroom. Mm-hmm. You know, so when we say we're broken, you know, but you haven't missed any meals. You got welfare. Mm-hmm. You got a place to stay, you know, that's subsidized by the government. You got cable, you know, you got heat, you got running water, you got enclosed bathrooms. 
So now for you to sit in judgment of someone who is in a country where they're being oppressed and being forced to be in, and being enslaved and, and being forced to to basically give up all of their rights fighting back. I just don't think we're in a position to do that. Mm-hmm. You know? And I'm not here to say if it's right or wrong. I'm not here to say um, if, you know, God told him that or God didn't tell him that. What I'm saying is that until you've been in this place where you can honestly say, yeah, I know what it's like to live in those shoes. I know what it's like to live in those countries. You can't really say, you know, because one person's revolution is another person's mm-hmm. terrorism. You know, I mean, if you were Harriet Tubman or um, who am I thinking of? You know, it'll come to me. It was Birth of a Nation. Like you look at Birth of a Nation, you know, um, and Birth of a Nation, we were the bad guys. <laughs> you know, we were wild savages. You know, and if you were a part of the 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 structure that was on the winning side of this war, you would think that we were doing something wrong and deserved to be locked up. You know, we deserve to be enslaved. But now if you fight for your freedom, you know, Nat Turner, that's the name I was thinking of. Um, if you fight for your freedom, like a Nat Turner, if you fight for your freedom, um, like a Harriet Tubman, you know, and some other names I really want to, you know, bring up that escaped me at this point. Um, you know, but the people in Haiti and places like that who actually overturned slavery, they look like the bad guy. You know, I mean, you look at the Native American, the Native American looks like the bad guy in the cowboy and westerns. You know, so are they really the bad guy? Right. You know, you found their country. How do you find their country if they already live here? You know? And again, I'm not making a moral judgment. I'm just simply saying that there, there could be conflicting views. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I agree. I totally agree. I mean, because if I grow up somewhere different, I'm not going to value what you value. You know, I, I got my own take on everything. And I think that's where a lot of people um, go wrong at because, again, they spectators looking in and don't know enough. And so, you know, the words speak about judgment. <laughs> you better be careful because you don't know what situation they're in. So uh, is Sadan married or have any children? Nope. Sadan is single and he does not have any children. Is Sadan on dating sites and stuff like that? Or what is Sadan doing? <laughs> don't laugh uh, at me. It's Sadano date sites. I'm like, so if Sadan says that he's on dating sites, do all of a sudden I see an uptick in uh, my swipes? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Is my swipe game going to increase if, if, if I say yeah? <laughs> what sites you on, Sadan? We want to go see your profile, see what you got going on. Man, I'm Sedan Long, man. You can look me up. I'm all over the internet. There's there's old pictures of me with the huge fat face. There's young pictures of me. There's pictures of me how I look right now with the gray hair. Um, so yeah, you know, check me out. Check me out wherever. Do you want children one day? If it happens, I'm happy for it. I'm I'm not ducking it. I'm not ducking it at all. Do you have any regrets? No, because everything that I've done up until this point has made me who I am. 
So it is really about me being grateful for each and every step and understanding that every step is a brick. And if you didn't have the bad stuff, you couldn't get to the good stuff and you couldn't appreciate the good stuff. If you could do anything for a day, what would it be? Probably run, go to the beach and have a good meal. Run, go to the beach. Running is very peaceful. I love the water and a nice meal. With so some good meals. What's your, what's, what's your favorite meals? It depends. You know, on a good day, I like pasta. So, you know, a nice lasagna um, from scratch with a nice spicy red sauce. So, yeah, on a good day, lasagna. Um, other days, you know, it could be anything. It could be tacos. I love Mexican food. Um, love a good steak. And other days, man, you know, a good protein shake. I'm not. A, I'm not a very picky eater, and I'm not very hard to please. So, what has been one of your most stressful moments? Stressful. Mm, I think the second time I got fired was stressful because the first time it happened, it's like, oh well, you know, it happens. Um, the second time, it was kind of out of the blue. <laughs> And I was really struggling with my confidence, trying to figure out, like, why does this keep happening to me? You know, one time a coincidence, two times a pattern. So that was probably a stressful moment for me. How did you overcome that? <clears throat> well, I think one thing that really helped me is that a couple months after I got fired, I went to a funeral of a friend that I used to work with. And people were literally lining up, apologizing to me. And it was like, wow, all of these people were talking about me behind my back. Yeah. Really? <laughs> all of these people were against me. And then now they're all standing here now saying, man, we're sorry. We misjudged you. We didn't really understand. We didn't really know. Um, so that kind of started to give me some perspective. And then I started to stop looking at getting fired and start looking at all the things that I accomplished while I was there. Um, Again, for anybody who's listening, you really have to measure backwards. You know, when you asked if I had any regrets, um, one of the reasons I don't have regrets is because I do measure backwards. You know, I don't necessarily look at where I'm at. I look at where I've come from. You know, like sometimes people will say, you know, I'm still 10 pounds from my goal and discount the fact that they've lost 90 pounds and be so intense of getting that last 10 that don't forget they lost 90. Um, so for me, it was like, okay, cool. I took over a department that hadn't had a game in 18 months. I had them in a black in less than six, you know, and I was able to, to do a lot of good. And I look, chose to focus on the good. You know, I was able to help some of my friends who didn't have jobs at that time, put them in position to feed their family. That was good. You know, I was able to help some kids get into college and, and, and make some lifelong friends and build some relationships. It's just that that season came to an end. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I could have I kept looking at it at the outcome and not looking at the fact that, man, I did a lot of good there. 
what is something that represents you? Mm, what do you mean represents me? Mm, you're very smart, so you could just pick whatever you want. What do you feel represents you? What's something that represents you? In regard, let's see, what represents me? Well, if you had, if I had to put it in words, I would say um, caring, consistent, and calm. And tell us why. Well, everything I do is really about the stuff that is kind of, um, well, not kind of, everything I do is about about the pain that I feel in situations. I wrote the book because, man, I was tired of sitting in church watching people not get ahead. And it's like, wait a minute, why are we here every week and we're still in the same situation? Why are the same people still going through? What what's What are we missing? You know, um, consistent. My message don't change. Good, bad, um, rain, sleet, snow, shine, you know, funerals or graduations. You know, I am still going to to be the same person. I'm still going to um, stick on tasks. The tasks are not going to change who I am in any way, shape, or form. And ultimately, my goal is to see people prosper. My goal is to see people um, walk in the gift that God has given them and that gift feed them. You know, my goal is to see, you know, you become the head, not the borrower, the lender, you know, and not the, well, the head, not the tail, lender and not the borrower, you know. So that does not change. You know, so um, and then calm. You know, again, it goes back to how you see things, you know, like, is this an opportunity or is this a challenge? And if there's a challenge, what is the solution? What is the um, path that we should take? You know, I try with everything I have to to look at it from a perspective of what's next and what is this going to lead me toward? Because again, if I'd never been fired, if I never had my back against the wall, there are certain decisions I never would have made because I would have been in a place of comfort and I would have been trying to keep that comfort. But then when God pushes you out of the comfort zone, it's because he wants to move you to a new level. You know, So sometimes losing the job is the very thing that you need in order to get the job God wants you to have. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes not having success the first time positions you to see it a little bit differently than you would have seen. it. You know, because even in what I do now, you know, had I been successful the first time, I probably would have never dug in and studied and understood and developed and evolved to the degree that I am now because I wouldn't have had to. You know, so sometimes your setbacks are really the thing that puts you in position to have to dig in and, and get the most out of yourself and out of your gift. So, so it's calm, consistent, and caring. How do you apply what you do for others to yourself? Well, I I, I would consider myself kind of Dr. Jekyll. Um, and Mr. Hyde, meaning that most of the medicines <laughs> that I prescribe, I've taken first, um, even from a marketing standpoint, like there's nothing that I am doing with clients that I haven't tested first. And that's kind of how I've come up with what I call the seven, which is the seven gets. 
it's it's me learning how it works and and testing it and seeing if it works um like we talk about something i have coming out in september which is turn free social media into cold hard cash i was at a point where all i had was uh android phone and the internet you know i didn't i didn't have a lot of money um you know i was in a bad situation with some clients and they weren't paying me <laughs> so that's all i had but i took to social media using free social media using what i learned and it brought me back so now i teach other people what i did and i tailor it to their businesses in some cases so that they can do it too and that's kind of what created proof of concept which has gotten us to the point where we can now teach something else to someone else but had i not been in the situations where I needed to learn, where I needed to grow, where I needed to develop concepts, processes, and practices, I wouldn't have them. You know, so it is truly, you know, your gift making room for you. If a person says all he does is talk about himself, what do you say to that? Well, I think I talk about myself in the sense that I don't want to tell other people's secrets. I don't want to um, out my clients. I don't want to um, talk about other people's negative um, situations and how they overcame them. I'd rather use myself as a guinea pig, you know, because if you really listen to me, you know, I'll tell you I've been fired. I'll tell you I left college. I'll tell you that I didn't have any money. I'll tell you that, you know, I was in the hospital. I'll tell you that I was sick. You know, I'll tell you all of the gory details. When you're you know, sick, tell us more. Um. You know, part of the reason that the exercise is such a heavy um, emphasis for me is I ended up being in the hospital um, probably about a decade, a little over a decade ago. I was almost 400 pounds. I had one of my legs really swollen and retaining fluid. I had sleep apnea. Um, like most men, I wasn't trying to go to the doctor. And, you know, finally, when I did go to the doctor, they sent me directly to the hospital to get a Doppler to see if I had a blood clot. Um, didn't have a blood clot, but my blood sugar was like 900, 980 or something like that. So the next morning, doctor calls me. Yeah, and I don't answer because I'm getting ready for work. Like, you know, like most men, I'm getting ready for work. So then finally, I'm like, well, why is she continuing to call me? Let me see what she wants. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, you're ready to go to work. I know you're going to the hospital. Mm -hmm. Like, what? So with that being said, nobody had ever told me I need to go to the hospital before. So I went to the hospital. And I was in the hospital maybe three days. Um, they got my blood sugar down. They put me on a CPAP machine. And there started my journey. You know, a decade later, um, I've reversed diabetes. I've lost over 100 pounds. Um, and managed to keep it off. I work out regularly. Um, no CPAP. You know, probably in the best shape of my life. Or close to it. So, when you say he talks about himself. Yeah, but I talk about the bad stuff. I'm not just going, oh, he's this wonderful, great guy. No. I talk about it because I know that people are ashamed to, to have these questions um, be attached to them. So, they don't ask them. You know, but if I say, hey, man, I overcame it, then maybe now they'll listen and be like, OK, well, cool. Let me go to the grown and rich 
and fit or grownandrich.com and, and see how I can can get some help. You know, because people are suffering in silence. Mm-hmm. You know, people will, will will you'll see people with you know the symptoms and they'll be like, nah, you know, I'm pre-diabetic. Okay, but that means that you're very close. You know, how close are you? Are you 0. 0.0, 0.01, You know, how close are you? Um, you know, people will have the, the fear of putting a CPAP on and sleeping with CPAP. You know, it's just not sexy. Will somebody love me? Will you be able to be in a relationship if you're wearing, you know, this thing on your face to sleep? You know, I mean, I had all those fears and embarrassments and shames and all of the above. So when you say, yeah, he talks about himself, but I talk about myself because these are things that need to be discussed. And if I discuss them from my own eyes, then it doesn't require that I put anybody else's business out there. You know, I don't have to talk about other people going broke and saying, oh, I helped them. No, I talk about me going broke. <laughs> you know, now I'll talk about my clients' successes, you know, how they were able to retire their wives and buy new houses and become full-time entrepreneurs and travel the world. I'll talk about that and how they won awards, you know, but the, the bad stuff, usually I put it on me. Do, do you feel one day you'll ever be married and what type of woman are you looking for? Well, um, I mean, marriage is not something I necessarily run from. So if it happens, it happens. In regard to, to women I work well with, I like women who are poised and, and confident and calm and, and energetic and wise. Um, Wise is a beautiful thing to me. Intelligence is a beautiful thing to me. Um, I like people who are caring, you know, women who are able to to be empathetic and anticipate needs and be of some use or assistance, you know, because again, I'm someone who anticipates and and I want that type of reciprocity in return. Um, I like athletic, energetic, positive people because that helps me to maintain my own personal dignity and, and stand it and you know my my dignity and my integrity and you know my sanity um so for me that person has to be in a positive place you know because it is just draining um to always be around people who are negative you know it is always draining to be around people who are um only looking at the end and not looking at the process you know, like we had a um, pod a while ago and he says, you know, you don't want a, a wife, you want a personal assistant. Right. And <laughs> right. But my, my take on that is I really want somebody who believes in me as much as I believe in them and is willing to do anything to help me just like I'm willing to do anything to help them. You know, if you start a company that's going to help us retire comfortably, I am willing to do everything I can to make it a success. Why? Because that's your dream. Why? Because if your dream works, then it works for everyone. You know, and that goes both ways. You know, the idea that you could tell someone that you love them and not want to see their dream come to fruition just doesn't make sense to me. You know, I mean, again, 
if this is something that's going to allow us to to have passive income, why wouldn't we both be contributing to it? You know, no different if we were um, doing real estate. Why wouldn't we both be in there with mops and buckets and lawnmowers and, and weed trimmers? You know, it's two people becoming one. You know, and like you always say, you want to be in a position where there is no jealousy and there is no competition. You know, where we're both on the same team. And if we're on the same team, then how can we argue? We're on the same team with the same goal, moving in the same direction, both trying to be the best that we can possibly be for each other. And if that results in, in two people getting married, then great. You know, I just think up until this point, I personally just have not been 100% comfortable with who I am. Because again, when you come from the environments we come from, and you're trying to aspire to be something else, it's kind of hard to find a partner that aspires to be in the same place as you. Mm. you know, it's like, I get that this is where I am, and I get that this is where I come from, and I get this is the environment that I grew up in, but I don't think like that. You know, I don't act like that. I don't move like that. So now how do I find somebody who moves in a similar direction to me? And that might not be in the environment. And that's what I'm saying. That might not necessarily be in the environment that I'm in. But because I look like um, and I'm from, sometimes people assume that 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 I'm different than I really am. Like I'll use the example of God wants you to dominate again. Um, When I wrote that book, you know, all of a sudden I became church cute. You know, it's like, and I say church cute because now, you know, I was on the, the radar of, of women who were believers. And then we would have these conversations and I would be like, but I'm really not a fan of organized religion. I grew up in it. I respect it. Um, I participate in it. But I believe that there are areas that we need to talk about and things that we need to um, discuss and, and, and create plans for. Because... If we continue to go in the rate that we're going, we're going to be obsolete. You know, so that was a, a very interesting time because it's like they expected me to just be the same old, you know, shouting, screaming, you know, God is good, rhetoric giving person that they were used to. And, and then they realized that I was quite different. You're like, no, I believe, you know, that church should be like 52 weeks. <clears throat> and after 52 weeks, you should be out there in the community. You should be out there getting it. So do you yeah. think you would ever, like, put together something like that? Mm, I don't necessarily know if that's my job. I think it's a great idea. But I also understand that I have to be focused on the things that I can control the things that I'm called to, the things that I'm passionate about and spreading yourself in sometimes means that you're not good at anything. You know, so right now we're focusing on helping small business owners and entrepreneurs turn free social media into cold hard cash. Um, and my secondary passion is, is health because I want you to be successful, but I also need you to be here to enjoy the success. I'm glad so you brought are, that up. So Tell us more about what Sadan does. 
in regard to what? To your grownandrich.com. So what 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 is it that you do as far as marketing? Like tell us more for people who say, well, what the hell do Sadan do? Okay. Well, let's start with with the grownandrich.com. You can go to grownandrich.com and grown and rich is about teaching adults how to use their name image likeness and experience to make money you know because the reality is if you make it to 35 and up there are things that someone coming behind you doesn't know that you can then monetize and what we do is we teach you how to build products get customers and generate profits so for example if you are a person who cooks for a living you know shout out to lex get cooking you know when i met lex she was thinking about you know writing a cookbook and she grew up in her grandma's knee and a grandma she uh, we call it old school cooking with a new school twist you know so literally she makes all of these old school dishes but she has like little small variations that make them her own and make them more um exciting for someone in her age group so we showed her how to put together, you know, her products. We showed her how to develop a marketing plan. And we showed her how to, you know, put together mailing lists and continue to grow her business both on and offline. So you'll learn how to build products. You'll learn how to then get customers. And then you'll learn how to generate profits. You know, because one thing that you have to understand, and a lot of people don't understand this, <laughs> is you could have a very pretty video, but if no one wants to watch it, it doesn't matter. I mean, thousands of videos, thousands of songs, thousands of TV shows come out every year, but you have to make something for someone. And not only do you have to make something for someone, you have to know what to say, when to say it, who to say it to, and how to say it. And then after that, you have to know what to charge. You know, and not only what to charge, but how to keep those customers coming back, because that's where your profits come from. You know, which is why I developed a process called the seven. You know, it's called the seven gets. And it is from front to back, everything you need to do to build a profitable business. It is everything that I've done multiple times for multiple business owners that has allowed them to be millionaires. That's allowed them to um, retire their wives. That's allowed them to be full time entrepreneurs that's allowed them to drive and live and fly and go wherever they want to go and open other businesses and start real estate and stuff like that. And then it's also um, some of the things that I've learned from some of the great entrepreneurs that I've gotten a chance to work with as well. You know, so it is everything that I've learned and done and been successful doing all rolled up into one. And the reason we do that is because I can't impact enough entrepreneurs working with them one at a time. So now we're creating a process that allows them to work with me without me showing up at their business or without me being on a Zoom call or without me being with them one-on-one. -on -one. Because again, we wanna help the masses because what you see a lot of times is people have a dream. And because we grow up talking about ourselves and being asked about our dream, we don't really understand that 
we have to then learn how to talk about our business to someone else. And when we do talk about our business to someone else, we use a lot of I. You know, I made this, you know, I want to do this. I want to see that happen because that's how we're used to talking, you know, or we talk about the features of it. Like it has this, it has that, you know, I put this in it, you know, it's got real butter in it. But the thing that business owners and buyers and, and customers and clients want to know is what's in it for them. You know, that most people have two stations. They have what's in it for them and what's interesting about them. So if you're going to then talk about your business, you have to talk about what your business allows other people to do. You know, what I do allows people to take their dream and turn it into income. You know, it allows people to attract customers, close deals and generate profits. It allows people to have a way to make money that allows them to work from home or anywhere else on the planet. You know, when it works well, and a lot of times it does, because 98% of the people who work with me have hired me more than once, it allows you to retire spouses. You know how cool it is to, to meet someone who used to have a job and now they don't because their husband's business is successful and know that you played a role in that? That is super cool. So you talk about uh, millionaires often. Are you in the Millionaires Club, Sadar? Not yet. Who is your hero? Who are my heroes? No, who is your hero? No, and uh, and I'll and I'm gonna say who are my heroes because who, who who is your hero? And I'm gonna say heroes because <laughs> there are because they're different things. I mean, I they're different things. Like, I don't have just one. Now, if you talk from a business standpoint, no, nope, um, I'm talking personal. Okay, from a personal standpoint, who are my heroes? It all depends on the day of the week. Like some days, it's Virgil Jones. Shout out to Virgil Jones. He's the um, I call him the Smithsonian. You know, he's a business partner, one of my best friends. And he's what, 77 now or 76. And I remember just looking at all of the history that he was a part of and all the people that he ran campaigns for. And it was just like, wow, that is incredible. You know, and he lives this really cool life and he's in great health and he's, he lives on his own street, which is pretty cool, <laughs> you know, in St. Louis, by the way. Um, so yeah, that's one of my heroes, you know, um, got a chance to have breakfast with him one morning. He was just kind and gracious and pouring um into me and explaining things to me and, and just you know not you know not just dismissing me and saying like oh man you know you don't care but just being kind um i remember he had some questions and he asked me some questions and i thought that was really cool um let's see other heroes that i have from a personal standpoint you know um from a personal standpoint you know i gotta go with my my parents you know, I love my mama, love my daddy. My daddy gone home to be with the Lord. But, you know, my father's a great man. You know, one thing that stuck out for me is when I was playing baseball as a kid and they put me at shortstop and I pitched the year before. And my father came to practice and he was like, well, why aren't you pitching? And I was like, well, they put me at shortstop. And he went right to the coach and said, my kid pitches. And that was one of the um, coolest things ever because he stood up for me. You know, and I was like, wow, you know, that was pretty dope. My dad stood up for me and, you know, he had my back. 
So, like, there are different reasons I have different heroes. Um, I usually like heroes that I can really touch. You know, uh, my friends are all my heroes. You know, I mean, hell, Corey Elliott's my hero. You know, I was there when we started CMT. You know, well, when she started CMT and I was in the room. <laughs> but, you know, um, you know, you know, people like Tania Crawford, man, watching her go to school, have to leave school, be a mother, be, you know, a caregiver to her mom and then her dad and then go back to school and see her raise these kids and overcome is, is inspiring. Um, Keisha McCormick, you know, hero, knowing Keisha, you know, for shit, 25 years. Remember when we first met, she worked at Toys R Us and now, you know, seeing her fly all over the world as a global exec and then see her living out her dreams is incredible. You know, Sergeant Tiffany Washington, man. You know, to know somebody who had a horrible relationship with their family and was on their own from 17 and now, you know, to be a police sergeant, you know, for the CPD is impressive. You know, so, I mean, my heroes are people that I that I see and touch every day. You know, they inspire me, which is why when you start talking about being um, married or having a wife, I want to be around people who are inspiring. You know, people who who make me want to be the best version of me who hold me accountable to who I really am. You know, and a lot of times that's a tricky thing because when you're in the community, you know, it's, it's a prophet never gets any respect in his hometown. You know, so when you're around people who think they know you, all they see is what they see. You know, you asked me if I was a millionaire. Um, nope, not a millionaire, but I have priceless information and I have products and more than likely I'll be one within the next 18 months. So we just got to keep working. So if you ask me, who do I want to be around? I want to be around people who make my work easy because there's a strong possibility that what I do will feed me, my family, my friends, you know, for years to come. Just like the stuff that they do is help feed me, help protect me, help cover me when I need it. You know, I mean, I'm only in a, a private Viola event, you know, because of Corey Elliott. You know, some of the clients that I've had, you know, because of my relationships with her. You know, and even if, you know, someone who doesn't really get it, um, doesn't think very highly of me, the fact that she does and is willing to put her name on me is a great thing. You know, I mean, there's there's guys like my guy, Joe Schaefer. Shout out to Joe. You know, I'm only in some of the rooms I'm in because I know Joe. You know, so people who see my talents and see my gifts and position me to keep making steps in the right direction are important. I mean, shit, Melinda Emerson, that was the first um, blue check back when you couldn't buy a blue check um, influencer that ever gave me a chance to work on a project. You know, Shout out to Tammy and Sheldon Moore, um, Charles Monday. You know, those are people who trusted me with their visions and businesses and allow me to perfect my processes. You know, hell, their hard work is something that is inspiring because it showed me that my processes do work. <laughs> now, instead of putting them on, you know, everybody but me, now it's time to put them on me again. You know, so if I know that this stuff works, then okay cool let's 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 put it out there and see what it does 
but also know any given day of the week that I could go back and work with other companies and have a great result for them as well, because I've been doing it for seven years. You know, and again, to show you how God works, I would have never done any of the work that I've done over the last seven years with Melinda, with the Moors, with the Mondays, um, hell, even with Corey and those guys, if I had not had my back against the wall because my own dream was failing. You know, because I was losing money, I would have never dug deeper and understood more how this marketing and sales and, and price architecture and behavioral science and all these things worked if I hadn't had my back against the wall, you know, and if I hadn't got fired multiple times, I would have never been in a position to have to figure out a way out of that world because the reality is I would have been comfortable in that world. You know, so every time something happened to me, it propelled me forward. Um, I was talking with, with Kisa, you know, and she was saying, you know, um, that somebody said a kick in the ass is still, you know, a step forward, <laughs> you know, so, all of this stuff has happened to put me in a place. But here's the thing I want people to know. Freedom is what you're really trying to get. Money is just a way to get your freedom. You know, so when you say, am I a millionaire? No, but for the last seven years, I've been able to not miss a meal, um, been able to keep a roof over my head, been able to do everything that I want to do. You know, so even though we don't have millions of dollars, we have a very um, good life. And I'm grateful for it. You know, I'm grateful to God for it because had I did it my way, I'd be somewhere in the car on my way to a store <laughs> or, you know, on my way to an office. And he was like, nah, we got something better for you. And we'll see what happens next. And part of the, the work hard um, that you see is about, me honoring my gift, you know, and being in the rooms and seeing that, hey, my work is respected in these rooms. You know, it might not be respected by people who don't understand it, but for the people who do get it, they get it. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, we need to work with him. Oh, yeah, have him give me a call. Oh, yeah, when can he meet with us? So you have to really, again, measure it backwards, you know, from being in a hospital bed, having blood sugars you know, in the nines, from being almost 400 pounds, you know, from being fired a couple of times and then being downsized, you know, to now having somebody who wants to know my story. All right. Last question. What are you most thankful for? I'm thankful for, for the bad times because, you know, the bad times showed me who I was. If, if I'd never been pressed, I'd never know um, that I could become a diamond. So, you know, in the words of um, Life Jennings, it's the bad times that make the good times seem so good. You know, or um, for my church folks, you know, when I look back over my life and I think things over. Think things over. <laughs> you know, so don't let the, um, the thing that could be bad or could be looked at as bad be seen as bad to the point where you don't figure a way out. You know, so I'm grateful that, you know, those things happen because had they not happened, I wouldn't be here. Had I not gone to St. Louis U, I wouldn't know the Corey Elliott's. I wouldn't know the Julian O'Sullivan's. Had I not lost the jobs, I would have never had the opportunities to develop 
solutions for myself and others. You know, and I'm grateful for that. 1,342 million percent. <laughs> well, amen, Sadan. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing a part of yourself on our um, Be Well Beloved Be well Wednesday. Beloved Wednesday. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> on our Be Well Beloved Wednesday. And you got so any takeaways? The, the takeaway that I do have that stuck out the most um, is when you say, look at the process. A lot of times we get so wrapped up in the things that we want to control but can't control because God has already or ordered those footsteps, right? And so yeah. if we just sometimes take our hands off and look at the process, look at the setup, look at what it is that God is actually trying to do, what he is placing in our lives, God is a strategist. And he will make something that seems so impossible to us possible. And so I just want us to hold deep to that. And look at the process of all things, no matter where you are, what it looks like, no matter what part of the world you're in, just trust the process. And on that note, if you're hanging out with me, I'll hang in there with you. Peace. Peace.